This morning, the scripture lesson is taken from Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six, verse one to eight. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory." At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. "Oh, to me!" I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he has taken with thorns from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, "See." This has touched your lips; your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. <clears throat> Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And I say, "Here am I; send me." This morning, Pastor Vincent is going to bring us the sermon. Know God, know yourself. Thank you, Brother Singhul. Let us pray. And bless the Lord who has caused the Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, and grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly delight them. That through the comfort of your sacred scriptures, and we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope. Of everlasting life, for we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. And this is the theme. We're doing the church theme for the second time in FMC for the first quarter. And today's theme will be、um, talking about the biblical theology. And what we seek for the biblical theology is. What is the main theme in the Bible? And we're talking about who is God, and what God has ordained for all of us, and what God teaches in the Bible. So not just we learn the progressive revelation in the Bible, but we also learn that the author of the Bible. And so I would like to use the scripture from the book of Isaiah, chapter six, verse one to eight. To talk about what is his attributes, and what is what what do we need to learn from this majestic God? So, if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter six, verses one to eight, and I'll be reading in the ESV versions. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted out. And the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him stood the seraphim; each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to one another and said, "Holy, holy, holy, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory." And the foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, "Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, "Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for." And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" Then I said, "Here I am. Send me." Now, if we have a clear understanding or a simple understanding of the Book of Isaiah, we all know that what's happening in the nation Judah and Israel. And Isaiah harshly rebuked the hypocrisy, greed, self-indulgence, and indignations in the nations. While the poor, while the rich prosper, and we see that the poor were oppressed by the rich, even though all who came to the temple to worship and call on the name of the Lord, none of them were really love Him, delight in the Lord. They were far away from God. All the offerings they offer were so fake and phony. And therefore, God called Isaiah to send a devastating. Prophecy to the to the Judah, and one day, Azira will destroy your country. Now, when King Uzziah died, we all know that there is the end of prosperity, the end of wealth of this country. And Isaiah saw God sitting high on the throne with the robe. And we, if we look at the Bible. We clearly, clear, we have clearly seen that the Bible says that God is a spirit. How can Isaiah see him with the bare eyes? And if God is a spirit, how can God have a white robe between him? And so, in systematic theology, there's one theological terms called theophany. We call it anthropomorphic revelations. Which means God revealed Himself in a human form, so that people can understand, with our own ability and limited understanding, of who God is. So in this way, God revealed Himself in a human structured form, a king. He revealed Himself to Isaiah as a king. Now let us note that in this anthropomorphic, subservient visions. Isaiah wasn't comfortable with these visions. He felt uneasy. He felt doomed when he saw God. 
So if we look at the Hebrew literature, it's very interesting. When one word is emphasized for more than one time, we know it's important. If we look at the book of John, chapter 3, verse 3, and Jesus said that the importance of regenerations, and he says that truly, truly I say to you, if we do not regenerate, if we do not born in the Spirit, we will not enter the kingdom of God. Now let us note that even when Jesus said that it's only one truly, if he says it truly, I say to you, it's still important. But when Jesus foretold that truly, truly, I say it to you, it makes the statement more important. Now if two repetitions of one statement is so important, what about three times? And we see in the Bible, the angels, seraphim, shout to one another, cry out to one another, say, Holy, holy, holy. And that indicates the importance of God's majesty and His holiness. Now, the Bible often describes how fearful and trembling the saints, the prophets, and the apostles whenever they are in the presence of God. Now, before God revealed Himself, His holiness to them, they, could, they, could, they all can still stood firm. But when they were confronted by the holiness and the glory of God, they were all terrified, even seized with the fear of death. When Abraham was so close to the glory of God, he felt nothing but dust. When the prophet Habakkuk, he confronted God, said that why, God, you didn't listen to our prayer. And when God's voice revealed to him, his lips quiver. Rottenness enters his bones and his feet were trembling. And we all know that the most righteous person on the earth, the Job, the blameless, blameless person in the earth. And we, when he confronted God, say that why all these things happens on me? And God says that, shall a foreteller confront the Almighty? And all Job can do is shut his mouth out and regret, despise himself in the dust. Now when Isaiah faced, when he were in the presence of the holiness of God, he didn't celebrate with drums and guns, and nor did he sing praises to God. And all he can say is that, Woe is me, for I am lost. And Isaiah declared himself woefully unholy. And he could sense that he could be destroyed anytime, any moment. Now, brothers and sisters, we never seen Isaiah did any heinous and serious sins, adultery, kill people. No, 
It did not. What Isaiah said foretold himself what the sins he committed is the unclean lips. And from our point of view, that seems a minor and small sin to all of us. But Isaiah knew that in the presence of God, God's holiness, according to his eternal, perfect moral standard, even one slit of tongue is enough to face the destructions. Now, the uncleanness of our lips can be a verbal sin. Or it can be the indications of the sin we think that doesn't matter. It's okay to sin. Now, if the problem or a minor sin we thought is such a serious problem in the view of God, and I think we need to really think about our behavior before this holy God. Now today, whether we are individuals, families, societies, churches, and nations, we all agree that we can satisfy with our own imperfections and delight, indulge in our sins, leading us to believe that God always gives us the opportunities to sin, sin as much as you want. It doesn't matter because God forgives anyway. Because God is gracious, God is love, so I can sin whatever I want. But we often forget that for holiness, without which no one can seize God. And only those who have a clean hands and pure heart, who are not lift his souls to what is false, can stand in the presence of God. Now, the corruption index in Malaysia is 62, the lowest it has been in years. Now, my friends, corruption is not a new thing to all of us, nor is it a new thing to, is it a new thing in our country, though it always has been a raging issue in our country. Now, for decades, we've seen governments appointing inexperienced politicians to govern the companies and the authorities, the departments, even failing to deal with the abusive civil authorities. And to the end of the day, we've even seen that. We've begun to see the problems in the anti-corruption commissions. Now, that's not just a problem in the government. It happens anywhere, all around the world, even in churches. Now, my concern is that behind any incidence of the corruptions, all those who, who involve in these corruptions always retain the mindset of being okay to indulge in sin. It's okay that I grab your money. It's okay that I rasua. And I was talking to the friend earlier of the days, and we're talking about the gambling store in the society. And is it lawful 
for Christians or even non-Christians to gamble, to, to participate in this gambling stores. Now, what I want to say is that even though we might have the best law in the world to legalize all sorts of sins, the corruptions in the world, and that doesn't mean that God legalized it in his own positions, in his own perspective. Now, there is an indifferent, it's okay method, mentality that drives us to rationalize all the sinful behavior. Because people are so accustomed that it's our nature to sin, which means it's okay to sin habitually. Now, remember I was taking a philosophy course in seminary. And on the day of presentations, I found out that my presenter paper was dropped off, was very far away from the, uh, from the theme, from the question that was set for me, assigned for me. But my teacher still let me present it anyway. But during the recess time, my teacher asked me, why didn't you read the questions properly? And I thought it's nothing. I would just like, well, it's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Now, in response with that, my teacher gave me a very stern reply. Your it's okay will cost you. Now, it's natural for all of us to think that many things in our life are it's okay including whether we sin against God or not. We have become so accustomed to our corruptions and depravity, and when we see the heinous and serious sin happening in society, and that might, and we might felt disgusting about that, but we never felt disgusting about ourselves when we are acting rebellious against the holiness of God. How many, how many of us will be able to stand in the presence of God if all of us will be judged by His perfect moral standard? I don't know whether we have the chance, like Isaiah, to see God's glory and His holiness face to face in this life. But I do believe that at the end of our days, we're about to face this Holy One. And we're about to stand before this judgment throne of the Holy One. Now, unless we compare ourselves and our actions to God's majestic standards, His perfect moral standards, we will never know the tragedy of our lives. So, my dear friends, the one who was considered the most righteous, the most holy prophet in the nations, has declared himself woefully unholy. And even the created 
angels, seraphim. They all need to cover their face, their feet, in order not to look directly to the holiness of God. And so, what about this? What is our attitude toward this holy God? What is your attitude when you enter this sanctuary to meet, to pray, to sing, to worship Him? Is it casual? Is it indifferent? Or do we worship Him with tremble and fear? Now, in the presence of the Holy God, Isaiah understood that all his qualities, his gifts, he possessed were so insignificant compared to the holiness of God. Even if he was named the most righteous and the holiest person in the nations. But God didn't say to Isaiah, say, oh, Isaiah, you're thinking too much. Go and find a psychiatrist. Go and find a counselor. Talk with him. Talk to him. Tell him your problem and you will be okay. And nor did God say that you filthy, dirty things, creatures. You hopeless thing, die in your sorrowsness. Now God doesn't offer the cheap grace. And nor did God let him die in vain, cruelly, or even in his sorrowsness. God commanded the seraphim to take a red whole coat, dip him, dip it in his mouth, and pronounce the forgiveness of sins. God took the initiative to offer the grace to him. Though God's holiness and the corruptions of men made Isaiah broken down, but God didn't give up on Isaiah. Now, how many of you long for the experience of the forgiveness of sins from God and wishing that God could come in front of you and say that, Hi, Reverend Gabriel, and hi, Meng Hung, hi, Eunice, hi, everyone, I forgive you. How many one of us, how many of us that long for Christ to come in front of us and say that, Look to my scar. Look to what I've done to you. Look at my blood. Look at all the sins I have borne for you. And this is what I've done for you. That is Christ's forgiveness. And that is the work of Christ. So my brothers and sisters, from now on, don't try to cover up. And don't try to say that it's okay to indulge or to serve ourselves. And don't commit to live in the disobedience and rebellion against God. Repent. The only thing you need to do is repent. Like Isaiah, tremble like him when you see the holiness of God. And as for grace, God's willing.
And after God forgive and cleanse the sins of Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God asks. And Isaiah answered, "Here I am. Send me." Not long ago, he was afraid. He was fearful of the holiness of God, but now he answered willingly and to work for God. And the forgiveness of God became the seal of his ministry. And my friends, God continued to reveal his holiness. To us today, and even continue his work of forgiveness. Do you remember the time? When was it you experienced the joy and the relief from the forgiveness of God? Or should I ask it in this way: Have you experienced the forgiveness from God? And when was the last time that you renew your fear and your zeal, your passion for God? I know a brother who claims to be a Christian, but he never taken his life and faith so seriously. And simply put, he could say that he's a Christian, but he he just want to do everything he wants: eat, drink, sleep. Adulteries, gambling—he did all of the things, living his life masterful. Now, in particular, his partner and his family were not aware of his attitude and behavior. But it felt okay. It's okay to live in this way, even though he was threatened, even though he was terrified by the other people. But he still indulged. He still suppressed. The conscience, just to do whatever he want. Until one day, a man introduced him a gospel testimony from Taiwan Good TV. And later, after he and, and after he watched the、um, video testimony, and he felt guilty about it. He was sure that deep down in his heart, something is accusing him. Something is putting pressure on him to say that you're wrong. You're so wrong for the entire life. And he came to me and asked me, "What's happening?" And I say that God creates every man, every human, a conscience in our heart, in our life, and that conscience. Add as a judge to written down all our sinful behaviors whenever we did something wrong. As Romans chapter one says that the anger, the wrath of God was revealed all across the world, even in the natural world. But we, as sinful human beings, always suppress that natural revelations. And so did my friend, and we're so accustomed to suppress the conscience, the voice in our hearts, and that we are so indulged to the things we want to do. Now, the conscience that God has placed in our hearts is enough to give us a taste 
of His justice and His holiness. The justice of God is like a lion, it's like a sleeping lion. When He is awake, He will roar at us. And my friend left sorrowfully, sadly. And one day when he attended a prayer meeting at a church, and we all know that in the prayer meeting there is prayer of confessions and prayer of thanksgiving. Now when it's the prayer of confessions, the leader of that day read the scriptures that happened to be Isaiah chapter 6. And when the leader read, got to verse 7, he was like the messenger of God declaring God's promises. And he said that your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I watched him in tears that night. Never in my life seen a man who cried so terribly, cry in that way. He came to me and confessed that all his life has been indulged in such a sinful behavior. All this while the conscience in his life were accusing him and even he'd experienced some loss. And we can say that the judgment of God But on that night when God pronounced the forgiveness through this Bible verse, just like what Martin Luther said, that immediately I felt that I was born again and the door of paradise was open for me to enter. That's forgiveness of sins in the present life. So brothers and sisters, no one is so good that they do not need the grace of the gospel. And no one is so bad that they cannot accept the grace of the gospel. That man, my friend, he is serving crazily and passionately in a church today by the grace of God. The grace of forgiveness of sins is always the motivation of our ministry and the seal, the affirmation and the assurance of our ministry. The saving grace of Christ motivates us to worship God properly. And I saw the king born for you in a manger. And the holy and high priest, priest live among the unholy sinners just to tell them the good news. And the glorious king died on the greatest humiliation in the world. And from that day on, that cross became, becomes our glory. It's a glorious sign from now on. So what the church needs most today is the restorations of the worship of the Holy God. On every session of our Sunday worship, from pre until post-load, every session is a worshiping session. Because it's by knowing God so that we can know ourselves rightly 
and that we can offer the praise and worship to God rightly, worthy of Him. So do we all know the God we worship is the exalted, the honor, and the glorious God, the holy God? And do we know our own insufficiencies, unworthiness, and lowliness, and that we need the grace of God? Now, one sin is enough to cut us off from the blessings of God forever. We all know that. But it takes the lifetime for all of us to just boil it down in our life, to think about that. It takes lifetime. It's not just that we need to know the author of the Bible is God, but we also need to know that who this God is, who He is, and when we know who He is, only then we can know who we are. And when we know who we are in that moment, we need grace. Grace is so precious to all of us at that moment. And my prayer is that all of us, may we recall the holiness of God and the depravity of all of us, our frustrating predicament, come to Christ by God's word, by God's will, shine forth our stains in our life, and always offer the worship worthy of Him. Let's pray. And Holy God, as we come before you, and thank you for revealing your holiness through this sacred scripture. And from this day onward, may Holy Spirit always inscribe your holy attributes to each one of us that we may evaluate, that we may examine our life according to your moral perfect perfections, that we may know how to offer a proper worship worthy of you, but we all know that we can't do that. And we need Jesus. We need Christ. And as our sins has reckoned to Christ and his righteousness reckoned to all of us, and you have cleansed the punishment and the sins from the past, from present, and the future, and we are righteous in your sight from now on. And that is the beauty of the gospel. So Father helps us, lead us from this day onwards until the end of the day. For we ask this in Jesus' name.